All right, so let's play. So top two reasons churches are hurt. Vicar commits. What do you think the blanks are well, without swearing? Sexual infidelity, I would have thought. It is, it. yes. And, and number two? <laughs> I guess we're working with Dean. <laughs> that, that, that's it, isn't it? You, 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 an egotistical something. <laughs> I can't think. Right. Brother. Okay. <laughs> let me let me let me give you some examples. Right. Okay. So I uh, so I have a, I already have a, a bit of experience with hurt churches, as I think some of you do too. Um. Um. I was going to... I'll do it anyway. I'll give you a few examples, possibly for our ordinand and our curate friend, just so they're aware of the pain that is out there. Um, I have five examples, but only an hour, and some of them are a little bit stiff. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you just... Um, a one, uh, okay, so here's one. Uh, there's an awkward vicar. Uh, he has a little bit of previous with causing trouble in churches, uh, but that's kind of, um, we tend to shush that up, you know, basically, you know, he's a good guy, so let's give him another shot. So he comes to another church. Uh, he has an affair. Uh, he's asked by the bishop to resign. So he stands up in front of the congregation and says, uh, my wife and I are separating. The marriage has broken down. This is very standard. Um, usually the vicar is a confident person, um, able to stand up and bluff their way. And the victim, the spouse, is normally in pieces and not used to being up the front. So they stand up and they say, you know, the marriage is broken down and she is in pieces and silent. So the congregation don't know quite what's happened. He leaves. Because the past, the because the bishop who just tried to keep it quiet and asked him to quietly resign, he then goes out looking for another job to be a vicar or a pastor somewhere else. Congregation is in pieces. The curate is left to pick up the pieces. He's got a hurt church. No one quite really knows why. And now they look to the curate. Who's only been there for a year. I'll give you another example. Um, there's a conservative evangelical church. They've got a charismatic leader. Um, he's uh, he's well liked. Um, he's charming. Um, but then one day, uh, he uh, is asked to resign by the bishop. Uh, the police have been called round, seized all his computers. Because one of his hookups, and that's all I'm going to say, one of his hookups uh, reports that he went too far and that if the police don't stop him, he's actually going to seriously hurt someone. Uh, you understand what I mean by a hookup? Right, OK, good. So he is asked to quietly resign and never go into the ministry again. Uh, so he stands, uh, uh, he uh, gets a, a letter written, the archdeacon reads out the letter, which says something along the lines of the marriage is broken down, um, and all the rest of it. The congregation, the letter is so vague, 
and its history, they know it's been signed off for a year with depression. The congregation can't quite make up their mind. Has he been sacked because he had mental ill health? Or has he resigned because he had an affair? Or is he broken because his wife had an affair? No one really knows, except those who actually do know exactly what's been going on. They're in complete and utter shock. But the bishop has said, for the sake of the family and for safeguarding reasons, you're not allowed to speak to anyone. In comes the new vicar, uh, who's appointed. They come into a parish profile that says, you're going to love this church, it's peachy. Okay? They come in and then the patron says, by the way, this, this is just between you and I. You're not allowed to discuss it with anyone. But... <coughs> right, here's another one for you. Evangelical vicar moves into a nice happy church. Immediately starts making huge changes. The church is divided among those who like the changes and those who are uncomfortable with the changes. Um, then he is suspended because he's got marriage problems. Marriage problems. You can work out for yourself why the diocese might suspend someone whose marriage is in difficulty. Um, the congregation is never told why he's suspended for the sake of the family and for safeguarding reasons. They're never told. Vicar resigns and the congregation is now bereft and divided. Uh, that's just a few examples. I could keep going on. But when I asked on Edge for examples of hurting churches, this is what I got. One vicar arrested for child abuse, five vicars caught in adultery, one pastoral breakdown because the vicar tried to sue the church twice, and two bullheaded evangelicals thinking they can turn around a liberal or a Catholic church within a year. Um, taking it all together, you can now fill in the blanks. The top two reasons churches get hurt are Vicar commits gross sexual immorality. And incidentally, no one ever really knows what goes on because the bishop hushes it up. And two, the vicar is an empire builder. They are driven empire. <laughs> they are an empire builder. They don't care for the people in their charge. They divide the church between those who like what they're doing and those who don't. But it's really all about them and their empire building. Those are the main two reasons. I was always told, I think many of us were, that the reason your ministry will run into the ground is going to be alcohol, adultery or money. I, I think that's not quite the case. My experience are the big two, empire building and adultery, um, sexual immorality uh, of some sort. Uh, there are other reasons churches get hurt. Um, division over uh, doctrine or teaching. Um, for the moment, that's not one of the big ones. In the 1980s, it was one of the big ones. Charismatic renewal split some churches, divided churches, caused hurt. I think in 10, 20 years, time will be back there again mm. uh, over the sexual identity, um, gender politics stuff. I think churches will be hurting in 10, 20 years' time over this. But right now, the reason churches are hurting are those big two 
um, sexual immorality and empire building. Um, right, okay, so on to uh, our second. Right, that's some stuff about being realistic. I wanted to give you some theology so we know why we need to be realistic. Um, if you go into a church and that's the situation, you should not be surprised because you know your Bible. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Uh, this is, you'll remember, that's the Cephas incident when when. Peter came to Antioch, I posed him to his face. Sometimes even a good Christian leader can get something wrong. Galatians chapter 2 verse 12 and Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Sometimes wolves with false teaching will do Satan's work. They will come in, they will wreck the place. At 1 Corinthians 11. Sometimes Christians are selfish and stupid. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, sometimes we forget that we're a united family here to look after each other and love each other. 2 Corinthians 7, um, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 to 13, we learn that godly grief can turn around into a renewed zeal. God may be using a moment of division to bring around a moment of unity. Um, and then Revelation chapter 2, um, right through to Revelation chapter 3. You know, all those different churches, all the different problems they've got. We're not surprised to find a church that's hurt or damaged and needs patching up. Okay. Um, two, this is what you might end up looking after. So this is for our uh, for our friends who haven't looked after a hurting church um, sometimes you end up there whether you mean to or not so I've I've worked in a bunch of churches I think I would say I was uh, yeah I was employed in I've been employed in four churches three of them have been hurt um, only one of them did I know what I was getting into and even then I had no idea um, and I wasn't I wasn't and it broke me Sometimes people get curates because they're they're wits end and you don't know it, but you're there to help them fix things. But they're already at their wits end, unable to fix things, and you're not going to be able to fix things because you're not the vicar. Um, sometimes people get curates uh, because they think they can keep juggling the balls and this is just one more person they need to deceive. And you'll help them with the deception because you'll carry more weight while they're juggling their balls and running their errands and then sometimes you can land a job as an incumbent and guess what no one thought on the parish profile what they really needed to write down is we are a church that's in trouble and we really need someone with expertise in healing wounded churches please come and help because the one of the main reasons they don't do that um Actually, I think it's because no one thinks that's the main thing they're trying to sell. Mm. But I, I agree with you. You know that no one would apply if that's what you did. But I, I just don't think they're, that's in their head that that's the main thing they want. Um, mm. They don't think this is a big deal. Mm. Actually, it's a massive deal. Mm. They just haven't come to terms with it yet. Mm. Um, right, okay, three. This is what fallout can look like. 
Um, so I thought I'd give you some case examples of what this fallout looked like. Um, and one of the reasons I was going to say, one of the reasons I can't give you a five point plan for how to fix a church is because fallout can be so radically different depending on the fallout. Um, so I'll give you some examples where the diocese tried to cover up the mess. And you'd think the same tactic would work in both situations, but it didn't. Um, so in one example, um, the Archdeacon says, let's keep everything quiet. Um, and uh, they do this for the sake of the family. Which, by the way, is a complete load of bobbins. Uh, because if you remove, just in case anyone becomes a bishop, never, ever cover anything up. Jesus was not in the business of covering up the truth. It will hurt in the short term. It will have fruit in the long term. So um, for the sake of the family, let's keep this quiet. What you're actually saying is let's keep deceiving the rest of the family. Let's not help them through the pain. Let's just get rid of them quietly so we can all get on with our lives. And yeah, okay, they'll fall away from the faith. They'll give up on Jesus Christ. Um, and the family will probably fall apart anyway. But at least we won't have to deal with it. Anyway, that's often what happens. Let's, for the sake of the family, keep things quiet so they don't get bullied at school. Result number one in one church, everything looked like it worked. The church wasn't any the wiser. The people that sworn to secrecy stayed quiet. And they got on with healing in their own way. They were kind of damaged and confused, but they kind of got on with it. A bit like PTSD victims, sometimes the best thing to do is not talk about it. And you just do your own healing. But in the meantime, the church, the, the, the family itself was broken. A few people left because they were so damaged and they were so hurt by what had gone on. Another example where almost the same thing happens, however, the church was already a bit more divided by this chap. Commits adultery. Diocese says, let's just bundle him away quietly for the sake of the family. Um, but the church is traumatised because it was already a little bit divided and this just makes it worse. So instead of things going away quietly, um, it, it just gets worse and worse and the church becomes bitter. And instead of healing on its own, mm -hmm. actually they now need an outside mediator. The new guy comes along and they need a mediator to come along and, mm -hmm. and help them with this situation. Mm -hmm. And then you get the opposite outcome where you cannot keep it quiet. A church hurts because, uh, and it can't be covered up because it's in the newspapers. There's a, for example, a, a, a vicar abuses children. The results last for decades. The people are bereaved um, and destroyed and they need a sense of healing before anything can happen. Um, and they're traumatised. They react oddly to situations. Um, I remember uh, taking uh, my children up for the funeral of their grandmother and they were young children um, under five and they asked my wife whose mother had just died will she still have her eyes which which was rather shocking and a little bit cold and a bit weird and it took my wife a couple of minutes to catch her breath and realize right we have a fish tank and sometimes when the fish die in the fish tank, the first bit 
of the fish that the other fish like to eat are the eyes. And it's a little bit disturbing when you see it at first. And so they were just processing in their heads death. And does it look the same? And you get the same with churches. You get really weird comments um, and really odd behavior because people are traumatized and they're trying to process stuff. And you will not be able to join the dots. But they're, that's because they're they're broken. Yeah, I had some weird comments in one church where I was trying to patch things up. I had some jolly weird comments. And you're trying to link up. Right, okay, this is because the last guy, isn't it? And you're just processing things and you're still work, you're working out your heart, but that's how you're saying it. Um, so, yeah. Um, in the place where, uh, where the vicar abused children, the work was decades long. Um, the church becomes defensive, curling in on itself, hurting, um, trying to protect the church at all costs. And this, uh, like I said, it lasts for decades. It's a life's work to patch this church up again. Right. How are we getting on? Is everyone all right? Mm. Right, that's kind of a state of the play. We kind of, I suppose we already knew that, most of us. Right, what do we do about it? Um, what do we do about it? Given that I can't give you a blueprint for how to fix a hurting church, because they're all different, um, I thought, so we're now on point four, um, how we can help. I thought, let's get our biblical ducks in all in a row. Let's open our Bibles and make sure um, we know why we're supposed to care. Because you could, you could say, if you've got a broken church, it's a small congregation and it's broken, why not just bin it and start again? Why not plant a church? I mean, all the, you know, the sexy stuff is to plant churches. And you can be 100, 200 if you plant the right church in the right place and make sure you got a really good band and some lasers, all right? <laughs> so why not do that rather than worry about the church of 30 that's broken already? Um, so if we go to the Bible, um, here's my first point. Um, this is God's church and his reputation. So if we went to Ezekiel chapter 34, we'd see that with the people of God here, we've got the character of God at stake. Um, so if you want to open uh, Ezekiel 34... Why not? It won't hurt to actually. It's on phone. Sorry, it's, it's on, on your phone. phone. phone I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> Absorb. Ezekiel 34. Okay. So, well, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel sums up the passage, doesn't it? My sheep are scattered. How does God feel about that? Furious. Because this is his church, this is his people, this is his flock. Um, and when it is attacked, it speaks to Satan and to the world that God does not abandon his own. If he just said, right, we'll stuff them, let the wolf have those because I can do better elsewhere. What does that say about God? That he doesn't care. That he's only in it for the bottom line. The bottom line being, ah, oh, his reputation. Um, or... Uh, or his glory. As long as his temple's fine, he's happy. He doesn't actually care about the people. But that's not true. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel tells us that God really cares about each one of the, of the sheep. 
And he turns to the shepherds and says, you eat the fat and you clothe yourselves. You don't feed my sheep. He's furious. Um, it's said that winning a new customer is five times more expensive than retaining an, an existing one. Um, I think, therefore, we don't want to turn around and say the answer to a small broken church is just to plant a new one. We can keep a congregation and bring God glory by looking after the small broken one. Um, point two, this is Christ's bride for whom he died. Jesus died for the sheep. The Holy Spirit sanctifies the sheep, individuals uh, in a local church and each church family part of the wider whole. And the body is made of many parts, but each part is valued. So if an ear is wounded, the eye may well say, I have no need of you, but the eye is wrong. The way to heal, the, the way to look after the body is not to chop off the ear and say, I can survive with the good eyes. <coughs> you heal the, the wound on the ear. Christ cares for each person that is hurt. So too, we should care, not only for each person that's hurt, but also each church that's hurt within the wider body. Three, these are saints we want to see home safely. I think this is the primary task as a pastor. We, uh, we often hear, do the work of an evangelist. Um, yes, that is a good charge to Timothy. But the primary task of a pastor is to pastor. That is shepherding language. You look after the sheep. Um, it's for the pastors to shepherd willingly and lovingly so that each saint reaches the end of the race and wins the prize to which Christ has called us heavenward. Um, our job is to make sure the bride is presented perfect at the end. I think the pastor's motto should be no saint scrapes in. Uh, that all of them reach the end well. And the hurting church is full of people in danger of just scraping in. It's our job to see them run home uh, well. Um, and then fourth, uh, the character of Christ is to pick up lame sheep and care for them. So Jeremiah ch chapter 23 Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Verse 4, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign. It's God's character to repair the damage that Satan does through others. It is God's character... Um, in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, to pick up the lame and the herding sheep and put them back on the path. Each individual one. He cares for each individual sheep. And really, uh, Kirsten has already kind of said better than I could um, that is the character of a pastor to love each individual sheep. Not just a church in theory, but the people in it. So that is why we should care about God's church and God's people. And I think that begins to answer how we deal with hurting churches. Um, 
that is basically we uh, we shepherd like Jesus shepherded. It's it's not actually that difficult. It's not rocket science. So um, B point number one: we care like Jesus cared, um, like a shepherd cares for each individual sheep, like an under shepherd cares for the flock that the sheep chief shepherd cares for. Um, like a servant who cares what the master thinks of him. And not like the Gentiles do. Um, I'll come back to that in just a second. Um, so point two, uh, we care like we are called to serve the sheep. Okay, so we care like Jesus cared. That is for each individual sheep, genuinely caring. But then we care like we are called to do that, not driven. Um uh, Matthew chapter 20 verse 25 Jesus called to them and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you whoever would be great among you would be your servant whoever would be first among you would be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many um so I've been uh, greatly struck uh, by uh, um, this verse on leadership of late. I think Chris Green has drawn attention to it on some of his blogs. Do not rule like the Gentiles do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, at the back of the handout, I've got a podcast from a guy called Carrie Newhoff, um, who interviews, oh, where is it? There it is, on that sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, he interviews this guy. Uh, Gordon MacDonald. Uh-huh. You've already listened to it, I think, George, have you? I've read both of Gordon MacDonald's books. Oh, you've both read both. Of course, you've read both. Funny enough, my sister sent that to me yesterday. Okay. So there's a chapter in here. Have you got? Is that ordering your private world or rebuilding? Your so this is uh, ordering your private world. Um, I've all, I've recommended um, rebuilding your private world. I I this is the one where the, the chapter where she's got. Um, driven leaders and called leaders mm-hmm. and i think i would um i would drive your attention to that that little section so he says driven leaders are achievement driven people uh, he was one so he's not knocking them mm-hmm. they're achievement driven they're out to prove something mm-hmm. at their core they care about themselves their reputation their status um building their church that's not to say they don't care about Jesus Christ and his people. It's just that more core to that is something about them. They're great at evangelizing and planting and setting up a vision and bullying people and burning everyone out in pursuit of the vision. They lead like a CEO or a general. They learn from the Gentiles. A cold leader, says Gordon MacDonald, um, he only learned to live as a cold leader after a breakdown once he realized uh, that he was, dr- he was burning himself out and he's burning others out. Um, a cold leader is not driven by something inter- internal like ego, but by their stewardship, he says. And one of his favorite examples is John the Baptist. Jesus comes along starts gaining more disciples than him and they say uh, his disciples turn around and say Jesus is doing better than you and John the Baptist says brilliant 
That's, that's where I won. Um, it's a stewardship. He doesn't care about himself. He cares about the sheep. It's, it's the sheep that he loves. Mm. So someone else comes along that's mm. better than him. Mm. Better than looking after the sheep. Mm. He doesn't give him monkeys. He thinks, fantastic. My sheep are being looked after even better than I can do it. So uh, the cold leader um, is more pastoral, more patient, and they make fewer waves and smaller headlines because they care for the sheep. Um, now, I think there's room in the church for both drivenness and coldness, but I think the Bible calls for cold-style leaders, ones that uh, look after the sheep. How are we doing for time? I think we're doing really well. Okay. Because I think that's a, a really good point about cold leaders. And I wonder if, I don't know what anybody else thinks, that the kind of model of leadership that seems to be out there for us conservative evangelicals is not that. It's the sort of more driven empire building. I, I, I don't think it's just conservative evangelicals. I think it's evangelicals more widely. But certainly some of this affected me, and I thought that's a leader I should be trying to be, and yeah. uh, and it's I, I have had to have a rude awakening to say, no, that's really not the leader I should be. Uh, and, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, and so it didn't help me, that uh, my, uh, my evangelical culture did not help me to be a better leader, it really. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I did the, uh, uh, yeah. I was going to say, it would be easy to not realise that you are a driven leader because you're hitting, striving for targets mm. that somebody has said, this is what you should be striving for. And genuinely, you believe it's for the glory of Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a, there's a very revealing video, and it's been taken down now. It's about nine or ten years old. Between, um, and it's on the nine, it was on the Nine Marks website. Mark Driscoll... James McDonald and Mark Dever. Do you know the, the video? I don't know the video, no. You're go, right. go on. Go, you see, okay. So they sit down to talk about mega churches, planting, and multi-site congregations. And uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll have massive respect for Mark Dever. He's a brilliant author and very influential. And for the first two minutes, they praise Mark Dever and then for the rest of the video, they blast him for not having a big enough vision. I think I have seen it. You have yeah. seen it. Isn't there a podcast that's really trending now about Mars Hill? Yeah, I've heard it. My, my assistant's been listening to it. It's just a series of kind of, it's like an autopsy yeah. of, of, the, of all that went wrong at Mars Hill. And, and at its heart, it's a driven leader. Um, so, yeah, so uh, all the way through this, this, three-way interview uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll blast Mark Dever for not having a big enough vision mm -hmm. they could be having multi-site meetings you know mm -hmm. we're doing it better um, and and you listen to them they're saying they say with their words with their mouths you know for the sake of Jesus Christ yeah. we're yeah. growing things but actually their words betray them I've planted this many churches I've had this many converts I'm doing this for the gospel and you Mark aren't within a few years uh, Mark Driscoll has been found out as a complete bully 
um, his own church has been persuaded to buy up all the copies of his marriage book in order to get it on the Times bestseller list. He is a liar, a deceiver, a bully. And you're going to turn around and say, who's really driving Mark Driscoll? It's Mark Driscoll. James MacDonald's done no better. He's been found out as a bully, having an affair, and hiring a hitman to kill someone. At his heart, James MacDonald is only about James MacDonald. And they... And the problem with being a driven leader is you're absolutely persuaded you're doing it for Jesus Christ. Yeah. But but you're kidding yourself as well as everyone else. Anyway, there we are. Do you think there's a problem with the heroes that we put up? Absolutely. And because yeah. because it's the driven leaders, the ones that plant big churches and make headlines, that grab the headlines. And that's the problem. Mm. We're looking at the headlines. Mm. But these are not our. These should not be our heroes. I'm running Nick from Leeds Tasters this morning, just talking about it. I, I don't, I don't know whether this is a crazy hypothesis, but I don't think churches are supposed to be big. I think I see they work better if they're small. I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to argue with you, George. I think I am coming round. I think to big that. churches, just by size, might be the problem because they have wealth and then they have people who were put on pedestals and 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 it's not really part of this seminar but they start to fail on what the family is supposed to do uh, so we will get around to th- ideas of plural eldership and open mm-hmm. how do you have openness how does everyone know the vicar and his quality of life mm-hmm. if no one knows the vicar because there's 600 of you but i was going to say even within a small congregation it's very easy for the vicar to be put on the pedestal, even if it's only a group yeah. of half a dozen, they can put you on a pedestal. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and 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 we'll and we'll and we'll put some we'll put some things in place in just a second to try and get rid of that. But we're, yeah, um, Sorry, and no worries. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so uh, point three, therefore care because you actually care not because you're paid to or is how you'll get a better post in short i want to say counter to all that's said about a changing world about changing the world and making a splash and making those big headlines i think the truly christian pastor is a shepherd who actually loves each individual sheep so yeah by the time you get into a church of 250 you you start to struggle to look after each individual sheep because you can't know them all so if you've got a big church, you need a very quick way of making sure each individual sheep is pastored. Um, uh, how do we care? That means, well, we make time for individual unimportant sheep, like Kirsty was saying. Put your career and your profile on hold. Put the little guys front and centre. You have a stewardship. Love your stewardship. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ are our examples, not CEOs. Mm. And I'm alarmed by how much we sort of. Sorry for you. No, no, please. It's a seminar. But, but, uh, oh, this, this is a. Uh, it, it is not. It's like it's across the board. But I've seen it most in the renewed. Oh, we've got somebody from the world of business here. <laughs> I love it. 
and they will and they will have some lessons but all of those lessons have to be filtered through the yeah. fact that none of them uh, will be quite like Jesus Christ yeah. who does a very different model so I love my business gurus um, and I've got some of my favourites but um, Jim Collins talks about different styles of leadership um, and he's got five leadership styles and the top one is number five and uh, I remember discussing this in the leadership thing and uh, and Chris Green said and Jesus is number six that he's um, charismatic and other person oriented he's he, it's just different no, 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 yeah so I yeah I agree with you I think most of our models we we look to the Gentiles for our leadership model and we really shouldn't okay now in the last good I'm on time now in the last 15 minutes I'm going to look onto the practical advice and gotten to quarter two quarter two have I yeah. oh I can slow down then great you can interrupt even more right Okay, practical advice on how to care for a hurting church. And again, I'll give you a full script, so don't stress. Um, I'm going to do uh, what to do in the moment of crisis, what to do in the aftermath, and what to do in the long term. Um, good, I'm glad I over-prepared. Right, um, in the moment of crisis, right. Um, I'm going to break this down into politics, part one and two. Remaining neutral and having godly grief. Right, politics. Number one. Um, right, in the immediate crisis, um, be aware that there's usually a need for an announcement long before all the facts are known. So if you remember 9-11, um, mm. there was a need for announcements long before they actually knew what was going on. Mm. And that is the reality with a, a breaking church. You will... Uh, you will need to make an announcement from the front why the youth minister isn't pastoring mm. anymore long before you are fully in a position to say this is what he did. Mm. Um, there is a temptation to say more than can be confidently said. There is a temptation to lead to conclusions. Don't. Note the offender will often try to control the narrative. Um, we've had a marriage breakdown. Don't let them control the narrative. They don't get a say. They're under investigation. Let's keep quiet until the facts are out. The diocese may well try to shut the narrative down. Again, don't let them. They've learned from the world of the Gentiles how to spin, how to control PR, how to make sure your reputation is not damaged. This is not how Jesus does things. Jesus is about truth um, and hiding the truth is just so unchristian. It makes me spit and it never works. It always goes wrong. So please don't let them do that either. So be diplomatic and be wise. Be prepared to disappoint people with your caution, but make sure the truth comes out. Without being salacious or hurtful, um, note that before you get to clearly state what's happened, someone will have blabbed it somewhere. So, um, one incident, um, guy commits adultery, tries to hush it all up, tries to say there's been some marriage breakdown, 
the diocese say, oh, look, let's just quietly retire. In the meantime, his daughter's gone to the youth group and said, you'll never guess what my dad did. And everyone knows. Another one, um, vicar, uh, that incident again, the vicar that had frequent hookups over the internet and, and went out to meet these hookups. Um, half the church had no clue. Most of the church had only a vague idea. The people down the pub knew all about it, every detail. So we're not in the spin game, but we are godly. So, uh, yeah, uh, carefully release the information. Um, part two, be prepared and aware of what fallout will look like waiting for the truth to come out. Victims may get hurt while the process takes place. Be aware of that. Um, make provision for them. Um, people will try to fix things quietly behind the scenes, which for the victim will feel like being silenced. So don't let that happen. Talk to the victim about good procedure forward. Um, look to other organisations. There are loads of organisations to help. Some dioceses are very good at this, actually. Not every diocese will try to control who gets the information. Some of them are really good at helping you uh, look after the, the victims. Um, be aware there'll be gossip and false reports on social media. Be wise, because you can spend the rest of your day trying to answer a fool according to their folly. But Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, sometimes you answer the fool according to their folly, lest they're wise in their own eyes. Sometimes you do not answer the fool according to their folly, lest you become like them. It's a wisdom call. You're going to have to work it out. Right. Finally, in the moment of crisis, neutrality. Um, so one person says, factions form quickly. Don't give them the opportunity to name you among their members. That's really good advice. So be the voice of calm and unity and wisdom. Don't take sides. Um, in that moment and then Bishop Rod talks about godly grief and worldly grief um, in the midst of a scandal um, worldly grief has grief at being found out and the loss of reputation godly grief has sorrow which brings around change and repentance um, have godly grief okay in the aftermath I've just got, yeah, I've just got a list. Um, have a listen now, reflect, challenge me, question me. Um, it's in the notes. In the aftermath, A, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Do not offer easy answers. Um, sometimes people want to uh, vent what's happened, not because they're looking for an answer, but because they want sympathy or they want to get something off their chest. Um, be quick to listen. Just let them spill their guts and, and, and love them. Remember how to listen. Um, pay attention. Clarify. Reflect back. Agree with what you can. Suspend judgment where you have to. 
make charitable judgments where you can report to safeguarding what you must report. It's um, this is just about being empathetic. Um, it, it, I think you can learn empathy. Um, Chris, uh, let me ask you on that. I, I went um, the first church I went into it had split. Uh, they voted. They'd taken a vote to sack the minister, and the vote was precisely to the person was fifty-fifty. So nothing happened. He, he he went after about eighteen months. He said he'd go, but it took eighteen months to find. Um, you had some people who were involved with whatever the situation was, which is one category. There was a lot of other people in the church who just wanted to tell you what had gone on. And I resolutely, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, but it said, look, I'm not interested in what your, what happened. I'm not interested in the gossip. I'm not interested in who is on what side. I want to just take people as I find them. And if they want to talk to me, then they can. That's fine. But I didn't allow others to, what I thought was gossip in that situation see now that's it but i think that's probably a wisdom call sometimes mm. that will be gossip won't it yeah you know um the, the, the vicar got caught in adultery Ooh, what do you think she was like yeah there will be that the problem is the person who came to faith under that vicar oh, or yeah. that minister yeah. and now they committed adultery the conversational sound almost identical uh, the, they did they committed adultery. What do you think she was like? And actually, they don't want gossip. They it's said with tears. Want to make sense of it, yeah. and they need to make sense of it. Mm. I think there's a wisdom call. Mm. I don't think you're wrong to to avoid gossip. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking think in these sort of situations, some of it can bring up all sorts of other issues that, that has affected the person. So, in, in some senses, you're acting like a counsellor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To them, and in the little counselling that I've been involved in, you know, all secular trained counsellors have somebody to go and debrief to. Yes. Especially where stuff mm. hits home, and I, I just wonder w- what provision could be made. <laughs> you have situation. to make your own provision. Right. Yeah, so um, the situation that I went into was so unbelievable I had to debrief with my prayer triplet um, a prayer quad uh, because um, is it gossip a little bit but in there is also uh, confusion dumbfoundedness and so sometimes you can process internally, sometimes you need to process externally. And um it was wisdom in that in getting a church to own where they are on this. Because you were talking about sometimes churches don't realise there's an issue. And actually what is helpful in that situation is, is for the church to actually realise there is an issue here and that's fine. We can it's, work through it. Yeah. But we need to own it. It's, it's, it's tricky. I think sometimes there is a let sleeping dogs lie as well. Mm. So there are some ch- so um, there are some situations where it has been hushed up and that's wrong, and only some damage. Uh, uh, but the damage has actually genuinely been limited. Um, so yes, I'd, no, it's being recorded. Uh, I will just say sometimes you are faced with a situation where you, it's best just to let it lie. But I think by and large, yes, 
that the that the church should own where it is, um, and and yeah, you, you need uh, so what support is there for vicars and curates and all the rest of it? None. You have to create your own. Um, the, the 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 bishop may well be supportive, may not be, may well be, mm. um, but they will not be nearly as good for you as the friends, the prayer triplets and quads that you build now. Um, and I'm going to advocate for wardens and plural eldership in a minute. Uh, I would invest in them as well. Okay. The, the, it should sometimes, if it's a big disciplinary thing, the, the, the diocese is going to kick in, isn't it? Uh, uh, particularly as a safeguarding issue. Not always. Not, not, yeah. <laughs> not always. <laughs> not, not with, I guess, not with laity. Not always with vicars. Yeah. Sometimes once they've bundled them off, they've washed their hands and they move on. Mm. And the damage is still there. Do you and think that would still happen now with a sort of very yep. sensitive situation with, with safeguarding? Yep. I do. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of... Can I... Can I sorry. <laughs> There's stuff we know we can't talk about. Can we, have, please, a, can we have a separate table at lunch? Fit us in. Oh, you'll never guess what he did. <laughs> You're kidding. No, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm in his prayer quad, and I have a similar situation where something just so outrageously unbelievable happened in my church, and I had to talk to them. Hmm. Uh, so, no, from a church side point of view, I, I, I mean, we can't, I believe in church being a polity, and although it doesn't work properly, it's there because it should. And it should be the past, you know, it should be outside accountability. That, that's why we're Anglicans, isn't it? Because uh, you can get everything else in the, in the free church. Uh, but but um, when it's not there, we, we've got to try and encourage it. And not just, oh, I've got a prayer quad. There's got to be a, a, a in my role in yeah. church society, seeking to actively encourage conservative evangelical clergy uh, and laity and leadership uh, in areas to sort of, you know, get to know each other yeah. and make sure they have some sort of support network. And if they're isolated, mm. well, well, Chris and I will do it uh, and have done it yes. when people have needed just a bit. I mean, we can't, we're not ecclesiastically in any kind of authority. And we, we've had to be very careful about those boundaries recently. But, but, but we can provide support and just, you know, listen and and if not have the wisdom ourselves, we probably know somebody who does. And there's a good chance that some of the local evangelical clergy know what's going on, are intimately involved, and are happy to talk and and support. Mm -hmm. um, that that, that yeah. also exists. Um, turning the page, um, prayer. Get godly wise people to pray with you early on, and model to the church how to pray and get those same people to pray likewise in public. Yeah. Really helpful advice. Look for early wins. Um, stuff that's easy that everyone can agree with and celebrate. Um, so one person said uh, to a friend uh, uh, who'd a curate, sticky situation, um, you want to find little improvements that help people feel that it's not all about loss. Mm. So uh, one guy puts on a Christmas party, 
um, another puts on a small evangelistic event. Um, so yeah, look out for some early wins, um, like uh, better service cards, nicer communion wine, having a cream tea, a one pew at a time, with the with the whole congregation, um, and then show you're struggling too. So one person says, when you let people see that you're also struggling with what's just happened, people will be able to connect with you. We're all in this together, right? Okay, seven. Um, I think point seven. Yes, I'm on point seven. Um, the longer term. Is it three on your sheet? It's all good. Um, in the longer term, um, grief. Uh, be aware that there's a strong desire to negatively reappraise everything. Don't let it. Some of it was still good. Some of the sermons that the last guy said were still true. Um, evangelism was still about Jesus. If someone's trusted in Jesus through a bad teacher... They've still trusted in Jesus. Uh, don't give in to gossip and bitterness while allowing people to talk. It's a tricky tightrope. Um, do your best. Um, next, the gospel is the answer for healing, for correction, for ending the gossip, for answering why things went wrong. The gospel is the answer. But I want to say, see, the whole gospel is the answer. That is, don't rush to quick, simple answers, but rush to the whole Bible. So, for example, go to Job. Job is not about simple, easy answers. Um, it's about deep experiences of an omnipotent God who sometimes his will is to allow suffering for hidden reasons. Which is to say, he allowed this wolf into the congregation. That requires a deep answer for why this has happened mm. and it's not a simple one mm-hmm. um, it was God's will that Alexander the metal worker would cause Paul harm how this, so that's not a pat answer is it that is a deep answer I sometimes thought with some leaders who go straight they started out fine yes mm. they seem and to then, you know some weakness or some temptation that they fall into. So as you say, you know, everything they've done should be discounted because actually in their life they probably would have done a great deal of good. They may have done. And uh, and that raises other questions. Yeah. Huge questions. Um, right. Empathy or emotional intelligence... I was going to title, I was going to have a huge amount of this down to emotional intelligence. And then Jordan Peterson, um, I discover, thinks emotional intelligence is a load of nonsense. Um, (laughs) It was invented by a journalist in the 70s, and apparently no clinical psychologist puts any store by it. So I'm just going to use the empathy label. Is this in his new 12 rules? No, no, no. This is this is just some another thing he says. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no such thing as emotional intelligence, but there is empathy. So uh, work hard to understand what is required and when. Do people need to talk or want to talk? Do they need to air things publicly or discuss in private? Can you read people? I can read people sometimes, usually. But if you can't, You can fake it. When you meet with someone or talk with them over coffee, 
take the amount of time you are going to give them and then double it. Um, that is how to be an empath. Um, get the main business dealt with and then just chat. Let things tumble out. Um, and people will people will allow you in and they will discuss the things that are genuinely troubling them. Um, don't rush, don't pinpoint, just let things ramble and you will pick up that you are. Learn some empathy. Um, make church your family. So the last guy kept his battles and his sins to himself. He gave everyone else a pretend professional version. Be different. Pick the leaders and friends you can trust and love. Be open with them. Share your life and troubles and concerns with them. Let them be part of your family. Let them see the good and the bad. So I've had people around in my house while the teens are kicking off. Do my teenagers like that? <laughs> no. No. But I try to explain to my teenagers that this is not to embarrass them. It's because these other people are also part of our family. Mm. And I'm sorry. I apologize to them. Be wise. Some folk in the church, you need to keep a distance. And you have a duty to your family to not bring them in. <laughs> this is all wisdom. Learn the hard one. Yeah. I'm sorry. In my case. <laughs> um, and then finally, what the last person privately got wrong, you publicly get right. Okay, so he fiddled his expenses. What you do is you talk to the treasurers about what you can spend, how you can spend it, and how you can be transparent. Um, one problem I had is my wife was the treasurer at one point. I had no choice. No one else would step up. So what do I do about making sure I'm transparent? I made sure the warden's wife looked at all the accounts that my wife did. Um, so she kept the affair private by pretending they were out on church business uh, in their diary. What do you do? You make sure that your diary is completely transparent, open to everyone for scrutiny. They watched porn on their computer. What do you do? You turn your computer around so it faces an open door and you make sure someone has got that accountability software um, on your software, uh, on your computer. Can you find ways around it? Absolutely. You can have your computer linked to this triple X account or whatever it's called. Um, Covenant Eyes is one of them. And you can have your phone separate. Um, the truly duplicitous person will always find a way. This is not about... Um, preventing this from happening this is about doing what we can to keep ourselves pure but also let everyone else know that we're we're on their side um on eight uh we're on to eight in situations where tea and sympathy won't cut it um this book the peacemaker very helpful um in conflict situations they suggest um an escalating uh uh, negotiation 
Uh, that's where you don't need any help required. The two parties just sit down and discuss a compromise. Sit down over a cup of tea. Just chat it through in a conflict. But that one is open to abuse. The more powerful can force a compromise in their favour. To which you might then uh, suggest mediation, where a neutral third party comes in to aid that same discussion. You then move up to arbitration. Uh, in arbitration, both parties agree that they can't really mutually um, arrange a compromise between them. They need a third party who will definitively give them an answer. They will listen to both sides um, and then say, this is what I have decided between you. And they both agree that the arbitrator will will have the last uh, say. Um, there is a final stage above that, which is litigation which is where both parties engage lawyers who then go to an arbitrator, high court judge or whatever. Um, so there's a further removal. And you may need negotiation, mediation, arbitration or litigation in your church. But even better than all of those is Christian conciliation. Negotiation, mediation, arbitration and litigation um, are all about um, a thing. Um, agreeing a compromise over a thing but it never restores the relationship between the two parties in Christian conciliation you try not only to deal with the thing between them but the relationship that they should have to try and restore the unity that these sheep should have so Christian conciliation um, uh, there we are you may also like to know about professional mediation um, there are organizations like Bridge Builders, um, and I came across a guy called Dr. Russ Parker, Reverend Dr. Russ Parker. Um, they can help. And then you've also got clerical mediation, and that's where you bring in the diocese. And sometimes the diocese is great. So there's, um, and I'll give you some examples then. Um, so we're on five, we're nearly finished. I'll give you some examples. Um, there was a, a church that was tremendously damaged and divided by a, a bullish evangelical. Um, and they, uh, they were so divided, there was, they, they couldn't, the, the new guy couldn't fix it, couldn't bring them together. They needed some outside help. So they brought in a liberal Catholic bishop from the diocese who was brilliant. And he led them in a service of reconciliation. It can help. Um, uh, me, I, I, here's here's where I was going to come back to. Play to your strengths. So, in my situation, I'm an empath. I'm an INFJ, which means I'm a natural. Ah, oh! we are extremely rare. <laughs> I think there's like five of us in the planet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're less than one percent male INFJs. Right, mate. Play to your strengths. Okay, so sit down with people and just talk. Um, say the right non-probing things. You know how to do this. These guys haven't got a clue. Um, say the right non-probing things. That means it just tumbles out. Um, um, I made sure that whatever the last guy was, I wasn't, but without belittling them. And when I was unfavorably compared to him, I let it slide. I'm not as 
charming as the last guy. Last guy was very good, especially charming big donors. I'm, I'm, I'm much more reserved. I can't do anything about it. I do nothing positive by dredging up what he did. Let it slide. Uh, you're not as charming as he was, not as charismatic. No, um, I guess not. God bless you anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've got another friend uh, who had a crisis in his church. He's got a huge, easygoing sense of humour. So his vicar ran off with a lover and was forced to resign. So he used his humour. And what he says is, I did a silly Christmas dinner and I sang Heartbreak Hotel with the words, well, since my vicar left me. And it went down really well. <laughs> And and he's kind of got this. He's got the silly sense of humour and like the, the kind of persona that could carry that off. And everyone burst out laughing. He says, "Well, since my vicar left me, boom." <laughs> and and everyone thought, "Yeah, funny. Yeah, you're right. We're all hurting. It was ridiculous, wasn't it?" Um, another person, very open quality. His training with incumbent was suspended, so he opened up to the congregation. Here's how I feel. Here's how I'm hurting. Here's how vulnerable I am. And that let other people come back to him um, with how they were feeling. Um, he also saw that the pastoral team was damaged. Um, and so he brought in outside help. Um, another, another person uh, saw after a very serious crisis, he wasn't going to be able to heal the church in a couple of years and then move on to the next project. This is going to take decades. So he's the kind of person who can handle that. And so he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the problem on the back burner. I'm going to focus on something else, generate a little momentum for a few years and allow long-term healing. And it's going to take decades. It's going to be a life's work. And so he decided that's what he would do. And for the next few decades, just kept an eye out for every time this situation raised its head again and dealt with it patiently over decades. Um, and then one chap with a very gentle spirit comes into a situation where they've been a heavy-handed toxic leader. What he did is he was just gentle. Um, he, uh, he established caring relationships. He stopped trying to fix everything, build projects, he just spent time on people. Where the previous guy just railroaded them, he just spent time on them. So yeah, kind of play to your strengths um, would be some of the lessons from some of those case examples. Any questions, any thoughts before I finish? I think I have tons, but I also need to process. <laughs> um, well, the good news is you can process with my full script. So, uh, um, all right, I'll give you a postscript. How to stop your church getting hurt. One, uh, watch yourself. Look out for man-pleasing and make sure your spiritual life is feeding you. Um, I remember this. I cannot find where I got this quote from. He was a big mover and shaker. It was something like a, a prime minister or a president. 
And they said this, whenever I meet a religious leader from the rest of the world, I meet a holy man. Whenever I meet a Christian leader from the West, I meet a manager. Become a holy man or woman. Teach your congregation that they do not need a manager, but a holy man. Um, if you need retreat days, take them. Meet with your prayer triplet, pray widely, teach on prayer, be their shepherd, not their leader. There we are. Mm. Plural eldership. The Church of England actually has provision for plural eldership. It is official policy that church wardens should care and support the vicar and function as a critical friend. That is official Church of England doctrine that the wardens function as elders in a church. I don't think the Church of England knows that, by the way, but this is, this is canon law that they are critical friends who support the pastor. That's, that's just another elder. So use that plural eldership. Teach on plural eldership and shared responsibility. Flatten your management structures. Um, make sure your teaching pastors and your wardens are co-equal with yourself. Have a lay person chair the PCC. Learn from Gareth Southgate. Let others step up, make their mistakes, and then take the flack yourself. Just, yeah, flatten your structures. Bring the wardens on board. Make them, uh, if you possibly can, make them your fellow elders and then be really open with them and work together with them. Mm. But that's, that's, that's no small thing, by the way. That is enormous and difficult. Uh, three, give your wardens the contact details of your prayer triplet Ooh. and vice versa. I know, George, I've just come up with it a few weeks ago. Uh, you you will be getting a call. I have told them this is what's going to happen from now on. Okay. You are now part of my official complaints procedure. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Let everyone know you are open to improvement and support. Remember, no system can be set up which will prevent you from lying to everybody and shipwrecking your faith. There was a famous pastor called Roy Clement, mm. Roy Clements, um, uh, who ran off with his boyfriend and shipwrecked his faith and did a lot of damage. In the years running up to him giving up on the faith and his wife, his prayer triplet knew something was wrong. His preaching was off the boil. He was not up to snuff. And one of them even, I am told, backed him into a corner and pointed at him and said, Roy, I know there's something wrong. What is it? And Roy just said, there's nothing wrong. If you're determined, you'll get away with it until you don't get away with it. But if you're determined to not get away with it, use the systems around you. If you want to be helped, you will find people to help you. The Lord disciplines those he loves. If you lose your pride, you will keep your soul. And therefore, um, give your wardens permission to correct you 
and go behind your back and speak to your prayer triplet. I'm, I'm done, so. I've got cats to stick on the pigeons. Um, so you'll get the addresses and names of my world. They're both female. And I wouldn't now have it really any other way. Uh, I, do, I do have male colleagues and maybe the teaching ministry. Uh, one of them's here. I, don't, I, I still believe that eldership is kind of male. So I don't view them as elders. I think a warden's role is, this is my view, and I don't think I agree with it, but I don't mind. For me, in the situation I'm in, it was a great way to get senior women in, in, in a senior role yeah. who I'm very accountable to and who have gifts and insights very different to mine. Uh, so, so very empathetic, very connected with the community, can see things I can't see, can also see when I'm struggling and are not uh, 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 and uh, happy to challenge me. Uh, and I've come to very much value that. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I know there's sort of Ed Moll's thing on Wardens and Elders, but I don't think that is a blueprint. I, I think it's... Uh, it's I, I, wonder, I wonder if it's equally valuable, because for me it's been extremely valuable to, to have women as, as Wardens. I think it's an option. I think the Church of England gives us the option and the wording that they've used about accountability and, and critical friend. I think they've given us the opportunity to freely use that as male plural eldership. Mm. It's difficult to persuade the congregation, every congregation, to accept only plural male eldership. But the point you raise, um, I think, is extremely valuable. Mm. I don't um, think you should have a church run without a, seen, a woman in some sort of senior position it's just it absolutely didn't happen in the new testament it didn't happen you in need a Euodia, you need a syndicate yeah. you need all of these senior I think some women. of the things that have gone wrong is because we've, we've got complementarianism so imbalanced we've not seen it as what it is which I, is compliment, complementary yeah i think in the places where if you're thinking if you're talking about jonathan fletcher i think you've also got even the men are emasculated in those situations, as it were. So you've gone so far. You don't have plural eldership. You've got a bunch of yes men who are bullied as well. But I agree with you. So I'm still wrestling with how to make sure. So I've got senior women I listen to, but I'm struggling to get them official positions that mean... They yeah. have place and power. Yeah. But which, I, which, you know, I can see. I mean, I would. I can see the value of plural eldership in, in Church of England polity. It allows it, but does not. Not you know, the first point of accountability is outside the church, and I think that is theologically right. Hmm. It is that the. You know, you, uh, there's no inbaxed debate, wasn't there, on, on you know, what you do with discipline. You need a point of reference outside the local church because it's too insular within the local church. Mm. And, I, and I think our polity's right on that, that we need that more than we need plurality within. Uh, but by practical experience is that having a woman in a senior position in the church, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, is more valuable than having some sort of plurality of male elders. 
I, I don't know. I'll need to I'll need to think about that. I remember being in one church where they had a strong view of male complementary ministry. One vicar, uh, one warden was male, one warden was female, and I asked him, "Who's the elders in your church?" And he said, "All the pastors and wardens who are male." And that doesn't sit right. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> so I I think. Um, Go for the Jason model or go for the George model, but whatever you do, make sure you've got some. Well, I, 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 I would still argue. You, I think you need accountability within the church as well as it, yeah. without the church. But um, I also agree with you. You need um, senior women who are recognised, who have have some clout over me. Bingo. Because mm. uh, it's 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 been tremendous. It, it, tremendous you know, my wife is also very gifted uh, but she's quiet and reserved and I wish she wasn't <laughs> but she is uh, uh, th that'll have some strengths though yeah. yeah I managed to push her into leading the service you know but it, no, th it wasn't me it was God it just happened Richard had to self-isolate I was covering for somebody else and we said oh we can run the thing online but then people couldn't come because there's some people who aren't online let's run it in church uh, and then Kat said I don't get Zoom, I but I, I, she, I said I'd rather leave the service physically than have to run Zoom because I don't like Zoom. So I said all right do that then and of course everybody loved it because she's so clear and, and warm. <laughs> and, she is, yeah. Uh, and that was a win but I don't know whether I'll be able to persuade her to do it again. But you know she's not kind of I want to do that. Yeah. Neither are my wardens either, they're not but they are very very good at just keeping the uh, kind of pastoral oversight right and and just keeping the sense of family and that they're brilliant at that. Any other thoughts or questions before we switch off the recording and you answer the you ask the, the really <laughs> the bits you left out. The really, really sticky <laughs> bits. No you good? Good. You got a process. Good. Well thank you. Um, I wonder if someone can uh, close in